All right. Well, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. This is a Monday Minute episode, which are shorter, more informal episodes where we answer your listener questions. We being myself, uh, Mark, and joined by Steve. How are you, man? I'm good. Yeah, really good. Just uh, working a little bit here this week of Christmas break. We got a lot of things going on behind the scenes and normally it's kind of a more laid back week my wife's like what's going on you freaking it's been uh, <laughs> kind of stressful and working as much as i can but also trying to you know enjoy the time with family so yeah 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 case in point we are pre-recording this it's actually friday the 30th uh it's not monday and it's not the new year but when it comes out it will be monday and it will be the new year so Soaking up the last couple of days of 2022 as we head into uh, 2023. Um, just real quick, like wanted to say thanks to everyone who supported the $10,000 gear giveaway that we ran through the month of December leading up to Christmas. Um, as we've said many times, we were excited to do that and be able to give away a bunch of prizes, which we have now done and everyone's been contacted and all that. But if you joined in that giveaway or if maybe you're new to the podcast since that giveaway, thanks for tuning in and thanks for not only supporting this podcast and Exo Mountain Gear, but the 20 plus companies that were part of that giveaway. Everything went great. We're super happy with it and Merry Christmas, especially to those who won some cool prizes. So yeah. Steve, where's your head at with 2023? Like, I don't know, personally, any hunts, any goals, any whatever? I don't know if you're not big resolution guy. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I always use the new year to just reflect back on things that I did right, that I could have done better, right? And then I will make um, kind of just a, a goals. And, you know, sometimes it's literally like, I want to make sure I get five camping trips with the family this summer, right? And like, just mm-hmm. just writing that down. And I and I um I kind of keep that file saved so I see it all year long uh, on my laptop and even on my phone and um and it just keeps me in check right because it's so easy to man holy cow that you know that year went by that month went by and I didn't get any of the things done I wanted to do so for me it's important to have those kind of lists and things to reference back and um because we all just get busy and life passes you by too quick if um you know for me I got to have a list to to keep me on track so um hunt wise i don't know yeah, we got like a whole slew of options we've uh, uh, got a pile of elk points in wyoming you're thinking about cashing in and possibly using uh you and uh, cody who else got uh, have a handful of good buddies that got idaho tags when this even though the cluster of the sale on december 1st <laughs> um so got you know looking forward to helping people with that and um I don't know. Yeah, we got, yeah, we're spoiled. Um, yeah, we got <laughs> Kodiak coming up again in November. That's going to yeah. be a blast of a trip. That's always just, uh, I'll be, is that going to be our, yeah, it'll be our third hunt third. up there. We've done two, my fourth trip because I went fishing once with my dad and brothers. Um, yeah, that, that'll be, that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm, I'm really looking forward to that trip already. So, um, still trying to feel like I want to, um, want to get like really lucky and win the idaho bighorn sheep lottery tag and go back in and hunt the frank church again (laughs) the the only lottery winner to actually go back and hunt the church when there's other way more better units but i think it'd be freaking badass to to do that so i'm gonna spend a couple hundred bucks on the idaho lottery tags or something like that when when you get a chance to put in for them so yeah speaking Uh of sheep we number one we're headed to sheep show uh shoot in a little over a week here it's january 12th the 14th 
Uh, And then your Alaska doll sheep is going to be completed and we're going to take it to sheep show, but I'm excited to see that, man. Yeah, me too. I, uh, I was talking with RJ of Hunter's Choice Taxidermy. He's doing the mountain. We, uh, he certainly pulled some strings and, and got it done really fast. Obviously, I brought it to him in August, and he's going to have it done and ready to go here in January. So it's a incredible timing. Um, and uh, yeah, it'd be fun to have that in the booth and check out. And he was pretty sure. I don't know if you've seen from the pics that big old chunk of horn missing. Yeah. When he pulled that off, he's pretty sure it was a bullet really um, that uh yeah so somebody <laughs> shot at him at some point and and uh you know obviously made a poor shot hit his horns so um yeah it's pretty cool pretty cool story yeah that is cool and speaking of mounts and you know it's funny because you and i are not texting army guys but um i've been debating what to do with my mountain goat right and the guys from monarch taxidermy have it uh, and it's off getting tans and all that, but I'm not at a point where I've had to decide anything about what to do with it. And so I've been considering a bunch of options and looking at a bunch of stuff and they posted something on Instagram. I don't know. This has probably been like a month ago, three weeks ago. And it wasn't even a goat mount that they were posting, but there was a goat in the background of this picture. And I was like, man, that's one of the coolest things I've seen. Like I see a lot of potential in that. Um, and then they posted an actual photo of that goat mount later and said that they were prepping it for sheep show. So that specific amount's going to oh. be there. And mm-hmm. I'm super excited to actually be able to see it in person and, and see how much I like it and talk to those guys. Yeah. Those guys are right next to us. Their booth. I oh, I didn't realize that. Plan. Yeah. They're literally our neighbors down there. So. Oh, sweet. Well, I'll get to check that out then for sure. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm with you. I reflected the new year. I don't necessarily call it, resolutions or goals but for me it's just a a good time to look back and look forward and always be like hey as you as you said like what went well what didn't go well what do i need to change you know whether it's personal relational what have you so and then hunts yeah man obviously being a a non-resident of idaho i've already gone through that process and picked up a couple tags and we have kodiaks and so now i'm like debating on what other states come into play in terms of draws and what I should put in for. It's always a fun time of year for sure. Um, And then podcast wise, just like wanted to touch on, you know, the new year and would say to you guys, to podcast listeners, uh, reach out and let us know what you guys want to hear in 2023. I mean, there's topics that I have personal interest in that you do as well, Steve. Um, There's discussions that you and I love having, but we always want to make sure we're, you know, involved with you guys listening. And if there's specific guests, topics, scenarios, things like that you want to cover, let us know. Um, I will say that the before and after listener series we did this year, uh, this past year now in 2022, I got a ton of good feedback on that. And I personally enjoyed those episodes. And especially I thought it was uh, is really unique to have that before the hunt and after the hunt perspective. So I want to do those again. Um, so whether it's, you know, soon now or whether it's months from now, if you guys think of this or hear it months from now for that matter. But, you know, if you have a specific hunt that you think would be a good fit for that, um, always feel free to reach out. So whether you have a, again, a guest topic suggestion, a, a cool hunt story that may work um, for before and after the series, whatever that is, shoot us an email, let us know. Um, that's just podcast at exomountgear.com. And then uh, of course, we do have SpeakPipe, which is where you guys can leave an audio message and ask us a question directly. 
um, with that. And actually, let's dive into one of those now. We actually uh, had one come up that's kind of related to XO that um, is an interesting topic, I think, to hear about. So let's play this question. Hey, guys. Just wanted to reach out to you and kind of ask you a more general question. What does it take to become a pro staffer versus like a... uh, uh, somebody who represents you, an influencer online, and what are the benefits you guys see from a company of actually integrating the regular public into that arena? Or do you guys just look for professional hunters that are out there every day hunting and doing their own filming and things of that nature? Or is it advantageous for you guys to have a, a group that actually goes out and tears things up and gives you positive feedback so that you can improve on your product or give feedback to some of your suppliers? Thanks a lot. You guys have a great day. All right, Steve. So I think we've touched on the topic of quote unquote pro staff before with XO and kind of how we don't love that word and that the XO formality of a pro staff doesn't exist but um he actually mentioned a, quite a bit in that question um which we can dive into but what's your your first uh take at a response to some of what he mentioned there yeah i mean as far as pro staff goes we don't we've never really had an official pro staff and i'm, I'm j- in general just not a fan of the term and how it works and um yeah, it's a lot of that's just my some of my negative feelings towards social media and how things are portrayed. We have a very like we have guys that are certainly really good hunters, good guys, right? Like um that uh, that we work with and give discounts and free packs to and stuff like that. Uh and it's just a good combination of a lot of people no one's ever heard of, you know, friends of mine that are just badass hunters and get out there and beat stuff up and i use those guys for feedback on performance and feedback on wear and tear and then there's other guys who um you know do like born and raised outdoors obviously those guys have you know a great group of guys great hunters but they also have a very large audience and presence and certainly we work with them and um you know they're they expose the pack to guys that uh to potential customers that end up buying packs from us so uh, we just have a good kind of combination of of everything, but yeah, there is no no quote unquote pro staff that we have. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. He mentioned like influence in there, and he mentioned everyday hunters, and that's one thing I like is that the packs were often getting out to people, and uh, sometimes this past fall, case in point, like we're getting packs in the hands of people that it's a prototype. Like we need feedback. This isn't about you know getting it in the hands of a professional hunter it's all about getting it in the hands of people that will use it use it hard test it hard and can provide feedback and you know even like getting specific with packs sometimes we're looking for folks with a wide variety of not only contexts like in where they hunt and what they hunt but sometimes even down to like body shape body size different things like that like all of that is important when we look at testing especially new products yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty cool that obviously we've got a fairly wide network of guys we can reach out to now and I can certainly cater like, all right, I want, you know, this new feature tested and here's 10 guys that I know hunt you know, are going to use this feature 
uh, in a, and give me good feedback and, you know, um, yeah, it just, uh, we've got a, just a great thing going. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, let's transition. Let's do another speak pipe question. This one is, uh, I think interesting timing because guys are, you know, as you get into the new year and as we've talked about, like planning what hunts are ahead, part of that is the preparation that comes with that potentially gear type stuff for the new year. Um, and this one is kind of on cost and budget. This question came through. Um, and I think there's a few important points to pull out from it. So let's play this one. Hi guys. I love the show and I appreciate all the great insight. I wonder if you can have people when they give their list, especially with these preparing for the hunt series you're doing, give a price tag of what they've spent. I've got five kids, kind of a DIY hunter guy. Well, all DIY hunter guy. And when I hear Russian stackable Yetis, I think of how much money people are dropping on this thing. And I just, uh, the rifles and the bullets that I can barely, I can barely even find bullets, it seems like, uh, for a reasonable price. I don't reload. And I see the gear lists like that other sites do, but I rarely see them pull stuff out of their pack and then say, this costs $400 and then this costs $300 and then give a grand total. Um, I think it'd be useful and I think it'd be transparent because it, it honestly feels so intimidating to hear about uh, what people are using and purchasing and then realize how far I am from being able to afford to get to that or be able to use that kind of gear or spend that kind of gas money. Uh, anyway, just, just something, but uh, I appreciate your show. Thanks. All right. So he said a word in there that stuck out to me and it was intimidating. And we've, we've talked about these topics before, but there's a lot to unpack there in terms of cost. And one thing that he mentioned is like, Hey, let's, when you share a gear list or have people talk about preparing for a hunt, talk about what they spent or what all of this gear costs. And I think there's, there's some value to that, but I know from my experience, Steve, if I lay out all of the stuff I have, I want to talk about cost that's spread out over years, like years and years and years. And the whole point, and from my perspective of, especially as you upgrade and, and get into higher cost or higher quality gear is to spread that cost out and have that good thing last for a very, very long time. Um, and so I get where he's coming from in terms of intimidating, but I, I guess what I would say is I don't think it's helpful to talk about, Hey, everything in my pack cost X and think that you have to then drop that type of coin, especially drop that type of coin at once or in your first year of hunting to then reach that point. Yeah, absolutely. And we've done plenty of episodes on budgets and, you know, being budget friendly options. I mean, you can completely kit yourself clothing wise for a quarter of the cost versus if you just went like all Sitka and Kuyu and have like stuff that performs nearly as well. Right. Um, even just so much reaching out to, out, you know, if you're uh, okay with not wearing camo, just, you know, there's, a lot of companies out there of like, you know, like a marmot or something like that, right? They make a rain, great rain jacket and you could probably get one on a really good clearance somewhere and um, not have to spend $300 for it. So there's certainly ways to get, you know, get your pack with loaded up with everything you need in a, a much more budget friendly way and areas, you know, we've talked about with, I mean, we've done it every year, I think uh, some type of budget episode ways to, um, 
save money ways to um like where to spend money you know i think we've um like boots are obviously a good example of one that you don't want to go cheap on that can ruin your hunt but then i think like in my opinion a tent and a lower 48 you could pretty much get by with like a walmart special um for you know 40 50 bucks maybe it's a pound heavier but it's certainly going to you know probably do the job just fine um so there's there's certain areas where you can save money and certain areas where you shouldn't and uh, yeah we've again we've done a good job i think covering through those over the years yeah we'll leave some links to prior podcasts um and even some of the article type stuff that we have on on budget recommendations and that's one thing i think is important to keep in mind is and this this question was very this guy and i'm not faulting this guy at all but it was very much looking at others right and what did they spend what do they use and i would say figure out what you need right so i could go do a what's in my pack video like for a certain scenario a certain hunt whatever that doesn't mean that everyone needs that or that they need that for what they're doing and it's all everything in my experience the money best spent is always informed by experience your personal experience like you figuring out i need a better this i need a you know xyz thing or i don't need that um, and if we're just looking at others what they do what they use without fully realizing the context and why they use something um, we're going to miss out on a lot i mean a great example is for for years i hardly touched a spotting scope and never invested in a good spotting scope because I was primarily just archery elk hunting and in the areas I was archery elk hunting, I never felt like I wasn't effective because I didn't have a spotting scope or didn't have a good spotting scope. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and that's a perfect example of like, it would have been foolish for me to spend whether that's 500 bucks or two, 2,500 bucks on a spotting scope. It would have been foolish for me to spend the money on that thing at that point in my quote unquote hunting career um because it wouldn't have made a difference for the hunts that i was doing at that time now i do other hunts i hunt other things other places other ways and a spotting scope is you know proven to be very advantageous for that but it wasn't for a very long time and so i didn't spend any money there um yeah, so yeah. and then i would say like for us i um <laughs> you and i both said this offline like to each other steve like obviously we are very spoiled in the things that we get to use and get access to and i I will say I treat that like serious from the perspective of when we get to use really good quality high-end gear, I take it like pretty serious that we're able to share our experiences with that and then talk about that, whether it's on the podcast or I can't tell you how many emails we answer on gear. Um, like a perfect scenario is, you know, I'll be comparing the XLR chassis and NDT chassis just to pick one thing. So like two rifle chassis that alone cost over a thousand dollars each not many people get to use both of them and use them side by side and use them in the field and then talk about what they find right so if i get the opportunity to do that to me i take that serious from the perspective of there's going to be people who are making decisions and spending a lot of money based on what i'm getting ready to say um and like in that case in point i'm not can I have zero intention to say this one or that one is better. I'm just going to say, here's what I found. Here's what I like. Here's what I don't like about each of them and let you guys make a decision if you're interested. But I definitely think it's a an important thing 
to have the opportunity to use gear like that and then talk about gear like that, fully knowing that people are making decisions with a lot of money based on what I'm getting ready to spit out of my mouth based on that. Yeah. All right. Let's wrap it up with uh, an archery question. That's fun. I'm, I'm, I get anxious this time of year coming off of hunting season. Um, I'm just like, I love shooting my bow in the winter too. So I, I love like trying new things in the off season, the winter included. And I'm even excited to try some uh, new stuff in my bow setup this year, but let's get to some questions on bow site setup. Hey, Mark, um, been listening to your podcast as I get ready for my first backcountry hunt in Colorado. Uh, moved here a couple years ago uh, from the south and grew up bow hunting in a tree stand. So all of the backcountry stuff is pretty new to me. Um, and I've been getting my bow ready, kind of sighting it in and everything. Um, when I was growing up with my bow that I have, I just have a couple sights um, a two, couple pins, one for, you know, 20, one for 35. And that's been enough for me, you know, shooting from a tree stand. I don't really see anything under or over 50 yards away. And I was just curious if you guys had any advice or what, what setups you guys use as far as like bow sights and, you know, that kind of thing. What is an acceptable range to feel comfortable with? Like I was out at the range the other day, sighting my bow in, and there was guys shooting out to 85 yards. And that just seemed crazy to me. So I, maybe that's something I need to get better at. I was just curious, though. Hear your thoughts on that. All right. It's kind of two questions there. One on bow sight setup in terms of number of pins and then kind of a bit on shooting distance and effective range. I get where he's coming from. He's saying he's hunting whitetails, you know, out east and basically had a two pin setup. Uh, which I think is great. But obviously, as you do get um, into Western hunting, more open hunting, there's the potential for a longer shot. Um, Things can happen faster, like with elk hunting, for example, where uh, a 20-yard encounter becomes a 50-yard encounter pretty quick. Um, And so I think there's a lot of value in the ability to not have to dial um, for quick scenarios. Um, And then I will say at the same time, you know, even if you don't plan on, and this ties site setup into effective range, which you talked about, even if you don't plan on shooting at game, say past 50 yards, I think it's important with Western hunting that you do practice beyond that. And then also in a quote unquote worst case scenario, have some ability to be able to have a site that's set up to shoot beyond that. So like a scenario would be um, like I go back to the very first elk I shot with my bow. It was a very close encounter and I got an arrow in him and it was a great shot and it would be a fatal shot, but he gave me a second opportunity to send an arrow at him. And that ended up only being at 30, 35 yards. I had to launch that second arrow. But what if it was 70, right? Like what if I shot an elk at, eight yards, 12 yards, and it was a good lethal shot, but he's standing at 70 and I have another opportunity to send an arrow at him um, and help him expire even quicker. Do you have a site that's even set up to 70? Have you shot to 70? Um, That's a totally different scenario than saying, I'm going to send a first arrow or try and make a 70 yard shot as a kill shot. But the opportunity for a follow-up shot, even at further distance, I think is important. So that ties into effective range and site setup. For me, what 
what I tend to prefer is a three pin slider. So having something like a 20, 30, 40, or you can set up as like a 27, 40, 50, you can do all different ways of setting it up. But basically I don't want too many pins. Three is a sweet spot for me where it's a simple sight picture, but also gives me the ability to not uh, have to dial beyond a certain range, whether that's 40 or 50 yards. But then with it being a, a dialing site, I can then choose to have pinpoint accuracy beyond whether that's 40 or 50 yards or whatever that bottom pin is. So I think you've gone back and forth, Steve, a little bit with that, right? Number of pins? Uh, Bounce between five and seven. Yeah, okay. I've never had less than five. Okay. Um, yeah, I've never had less than five. But um, yeah, for I think for... For years and years, it was, I think I, I had a seven pin and then one like the black old ascent came out slider sight. I switched to a five and I'd do that. Um, I'd be out to 70 with the fixed pins, right? So it'd be 25, mm-hmm. um, 40, 50, 60, 70. And then, uh, and then you could slide past that. And I, um, um, my my shooting i don't shoot like i used to i don't shoot every single day and um so my you know i used to feel very confident at 70 yards i could shoot fantastic groups and now it's uh that's probably like you know <laughs> really probably 40 or 50 uh like my group size it just because i don't shoot as like i used to um but uh yeah that, that seems to be a good combination for me and then the last um i think i switched back to a five five pin fixed the last two years two or three years but mm. i haven't bow hunted a whole lot the last few years but um just because of like that sliding having you know, i was out to out to 70 yards anyways and i'm just certainly not shooting past that um there you know your argument there of having you know you you make a you know it's certainly possible to make a poor shot at 10 yards happens all the time right you hear those stories and to have the ability to do a follow-up shot i think is incredibly important um so yeah being able to get out to i'd say past 50 is certainly for western hunting something that uh, i would highly highly recommend you be able to do and like in in this guy's you know like even if he doesn't want to shoot past 50 practice at 70 practice at 80 everything's when it comes to archery and i'm mean, shooting a rifle as well but archery seems even more so every mistake you know um whether that be shooting mistake or um really you could say tuning you know uh, a crooked arrow wobbly arrow wobbly broadhead um, all that stuff just gets magnified at distance so it's just going to show more errors and allow you to dial things in and get more precise yeah i've always kind of had the rough rule of thumb that i want to be able to uh for practice and then as you were just saying like to test your setup whether that's broadhead flight or arrow spine what have you i always want to be able to shoot twice the distance of what I anticipate my effective range would be. So if I'm say, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm bow hunter. I'm not shooting past 40. That's great. I still, as someone who's been there and, you know, still pretty much is there, want to be able to shoot to 80 in the off season, right. Or beyond. Um, and again, that's both for me for think, judging things like form, but it's also to, to verify arrow flight down range. It just teaches you so much. So this guy kind of mentioned, Hey, I'm newer to Colorado, newer to Western hunting. I'm seeing these guys at the range shooting 85 yards. 
I don't want to speak for them. I hope they're not planning necessarily trying to wing and arrow at an animal at 85 yards, but I'm fully on board with people shooting at that distance at the range um, and getting the benefits from learning that, as I said, both from their equipment as well as their own capabilities for sure. Teaches you a lot. Awesome. Well, that's a wrap on this one, guys. We will uh, be back next week with uh, another Monday Minute to answer your questions. So let us know what questions you have by sending an email to podcast at exomountgear.com or leave in uh, a message using the link in the show description for SpeakPipe. And then we'll have a full-length episode this Wednesday as well. So if you haven't yet hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app so that you receive those future episodes automatically, and we'll talk to you soon.